electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber here at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer is at one market in San Francisco as Dreamforce kicks off today. Futures uh, soften a bit after back-to-back gains for the S&P NASDAQ. Oil near 88.5 is the highest of the year. As Becky says, the Apple event is the headliner today, 1 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon. Our roadmap begins with storm clouds for Oracle. Biggest laggard on the S&P. Revenue and guidance coming in a bit lighter than expected. Plus, it is Apple's biggest event of the year. It is expected to unveil, of course, the iPhone 15, hoping to give the company's somewhat lagging sales a boost. And the UFC, UFC and WWE, that merge is closing today. The new company, TKO Holdings. It will begin trading on the New York Stock Exchange, and we are going to speak with the group's CEO, Ari Emanuel, and president later this hour. Let's begin with Oracle, the biggest pre-market decliner on the S&P. Beats on the bottom line, but does post a revenue miss, issue some sales guidance slightly below consensus. Company did tout $4 billion in new AI capacity commitments. That's twice the amount booked at the end of the previous quarter. Uh, Jim, this would be set to be the biggest gap down on earnings in a couple of years. Yeah, look, I, I would be a buyer, uh, especially if it was a 113. I have real small position for the travel trust. I want to get very big, and here's why. This is a situation where the real issue is not what people are talking about. It's Cerner. It's the acquisition they made, $28 billion. It's at the end of December of 2021, and people do not like that acquisition. They don't like it because the company already guided down for it. A lot of the different mentions of it were about how we would have done better if it were not for Cerner. Cerner's got a very complicated subscription uh, revenue recognition that has to go to uh, another way that will be a lot less, uh, let's say, it's going to a subscription that will be much harder to understand, and that's what people were thrown off by last night. It is not about the slowing of cloud, even though people said it's slowing of cloud. David, sometimes you get these situations where you have brokers that push a stock right before it reports aggressively, and the stock goes up 6 $7 like this one, and people are going to be disappointed no matter what is said, but Cerner was a surprise, the healthcare company. Right, but again, and Jim, you know, if you can explain it, please do so. The license is transitioning from Cerner to the cloud model, so it's being done rateably as opposed to exactly. pre- bringing and in people the revenues under- ahead But of- why didn't people understand that? That's exactly what happens. It's going rateably, so therefore it doesn't look as good. But it was not a great quarter for Cerner by any means. I did not think it was a good acquisition after I listened to the last night. Well, I don't remember you being – well, actually, I don't really remember one way or the other whether you were particularly positive on that deal or not when it was, when it was announced back uh, in 2021. Man. Remember, Epic is so much stronger than Cerner. When you go to your health care provider, you go to a hospital, it's almost always Epic. Cerner's been always been a, a sloppy number two. It had been challenged a couple times by activists. No, I look, I like what Oracle really is, which is this company that's transitioning to cloud. I didn't like the health care. And by the way, David, that deal may have been done before we realized how big AI is. Remember, think about December 21. You really weren't focused on what AI could be. And now AI is huge, and it's kind of like Cerner's an afterthought. Not great. Right. Not great. Uh, they go on to say what? No capacity can cha- uh, challenges in the quarter. CapEx is going to be at the higher end of the range. Right. 
So you don't think 10% is justified based on the news? Well, I just think that if you have half of that was tacked on at the last minute, which should have been by, by brokers who are doing the same thing that they're doing to Adobe today, just recommending and recommending, recommending. It's an inexpensive look. It's got a lower multiple. It's got about 20 multiple now in next year's earnings. Uh, cloud infrastructure was 64%. I do not think that's that bad. And Larry Ellison, Frank Slootman told me yesterday from, from uh, Snowflake, is getting incredibly involved. I'm a big believer in Ellison. Was everything perfect here? No. I, it would not have mattered as much if, uh, you know, Carl, we see this all the time. If the brokers hadn't, the research guys got, got behind it, you'd say it's going to be a gigantic quarter. And that is just not sustainable. As we saw, by the way, with Broadcom, same thing happened with that one. Right before it reported, people bowled it, and then a lot of guys got hurt. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Cerner transition is interesting, Jim, but what I thought what was more interesting last night was what Slootman told you about how collectively we're all going to embrace AI. Uh, let's take a quick listen to that if we've got it racked. We're going to take to this like a fish to water. We're going to have systems and co-pilots, and uh, it's going to be as, as ubiquitous as search has been in our lives very, very quickly. Jimmy said he's been waiting his whole life for a moment like this. This was an amazing interview because Frank Slootman is the toughest guy in the world. He's from Erasmus in, in Holland. He's a very circumspect guy. He never goes all in on anything. I've interviewed him many, many times. I've never heard anything. He's never, this was like a different Slootman. He was sitting right next to me. I was like, it wrapped. This was not the guy I've ever seen come on and excited and thinking that this is the greatest part of his life because of AI. Now, he's business to business. He actually openly said, listen, the chat GPT, that's just a parlor game. But what he's talking about, and David, I think we, we have done, we really got to spend more time on this, but a business-to-business, an enterprise helper that helps mm-hmm. auto insurance, that helps banks, uh, that helps medical records, these are things that are very boring. And all the stuff that Frank likes are things that are not exciting, but boy, are they ever working. Yeah, but they're all going to potentially be great aids to productivity. And they're products, right. I guess, Jim, that we'll start to see what introduced towards the end of this year, next year, middle of next exactly. year. Um, you know, a lot of companies, I think, are debating from what I've heard is well, how much do we expose of our AI, of what we're working on? So much is being done internally by companies, not just to produce products for others to use, B2B, as you say, but internally by the institutions themselves, by the corporations themselves. And, you know, many are sort of debating right now, how much do I show my hand and how much don't I? Will I get credit in the marketplace for it? Or will I get dinged for being too promotional? But it's an interesting time when it comes to generative AI. Yeah, in definitely. That, in that regard. I think, yeah, and what, I, what you get is like progressive is uh, the, you see them, the auto insurance company. They're huge users and they're able to price insurance instantly where it should be. Remember, this is something that, Frank discussed it. I think, again, people at home have to understand. It's about, David, picking up a couple of basis points millions of times. Whether you're, you know, whether you're a bank, whether you're an auto insurer, whether you're fin- financing autos. That's another big business. Where insurance for flood areas. These are things he's mentioned. These are use cases where you have to be so right that nobody's smart enough as the machine. And they're boring. But for a guy like Slootman who can go in and say, listen, you can save, you can make, you save $10 million a week it, just by doing nothing except for giving us a little bit of money. It's, David, it's a great use case. It really is. Jim, how about Allison's comments about the, the people, or I guess not the people, who are going to rewrite uh, the Cerner code base? <laughs> it's not armies of programmers that are going to be rewriting this. 
It's, yep. I think, boy, Ellison was, the, Ellison made it sound like, look, you go to one of our data centers, there's nobody there, so there's no mistakes. You make a mistake on chat, on, uh, on, with AI, you press a button, the mistake has changed everywhere. I mean, Larry is chasing out a vision of productivity that was similar to what Jeff Lawson from Twilio traced out. We, you get 10 times the productivity, 10 times the gain for one-tenth the cost. And that's pretty much what Ellison is saying. I, he'd say, listen, you go, to our, you go to our data centers, there's nobody there, and therefore there can be no mistakes. Carl, he, very futuristic vision. I hope, some, I hope there's a job for people because, boy, when, when he's done, but you don't need people. Well, what, we, what I've heard as well, though, guys, and Carl, to your point is that you can hire programmers who may not be the best because yes. they can use ChatGPT or other generative AI to fill in an awful lot of blanks in terms of writing code that will take them to that level and obviously you don't have to pay quite as much. So that's something else right. when it comes to productivity that's certainly worth keeping an eye on. David, Frank Slimitzer, you don't, you don't have to be that literate. Right. You don't have to be literate. I mean, can you imagine you can, when he says something like that, what that means is that the, uh, the, the age of when we have to hire people from Nowhere but Stanford uh, comp sci is over. It's over. All uh, right. I don't. I'm not even sure what that's going to look like, but yeah, it may be. It'd be great. And it'd be great for the rest of us who didn't go to science, not computer science majors at Stanford. Everybody else does well. Everybody. Well, everybody said <laughs> we were paying no two million dollars for right out of college. It's going to be. I mean, come on. I mean, this is like what uh, what Larry's tracing out, Carl, that I love yeah. is he's just saying that you can. And this is what Slootman said, too, that you don't have to be a genius to work at a, uh, in in the computer portion of the company. Right. You can just be a worker bee now. Yeah, that's yeah, what he said. Write some code and then it'll fill in the rest. You write a little more and it fills in most of it. And then you're that's done. That's what he the said. Day. I hear you. David, that's exactly what he said. Of when I interviewed Masa, I don't even know how many years ago. You guys remember? And he talked about it's going to be like ancient Rome. Everybody's just going to be sitting around getting fanned. Yes. <laughs> remember that? Yes. <laughs> Cyberdyne and Skynet. Yeah, we're eating grapes. <laughs> mm. Guys, uh, markets are on track for a lower open this morning. Dow's in the midst of a three-win, uh, three-session win streak, along with back-to-back gains for S&P Nasdaq. As investors await CPI tomorrow. And in the meantime, uh, kicking around some of these comments from bank CEOs, of course, Diamond of J.P. Morgan yesterday weighing in on the strength of the consumer and the economy, warning not to overlook the risks. This is what he said yesterday at this conference in New York. I just think people make a mistake to look at real-time numbers and not look at the future. And the future has quantitative tightening. We've been spending money like drunken sailors around the world. Uh, this war in Ukraine is still going on. Those are really big bucks. You know, to say the consumer is strong today, meaning you're going to have a booming environment for years, is a huge mistake. David, pretty remarkably talked about home values up, asset prices up, uh, wages up, balance sheets clean, <laughs> everybody's working, but. Yeah, wh- I, why does he keep doing that, Jim? Why is he so <laughs> insistent on making us all, like, he's just Debbie Downer every time. He really is. And then he has to pick on some regulator nobody knows. I mean, one of the things that, Look, I, I, when Jamie said something to me about, I guess, a year and a half, he said rates could go to 6% and rates for like at 4 And I think he should stick to those kinds of things because, boy, it was pretty, the rate, he got the rate trajectory correctly. And not do so much complaining. David, remember when he used to be like, is he like a complainer about Tufts, by the way, Dave? Does he not like, is he just a complainer in general? 
No. You do Actually, stuff. Actually, he's, he's, he's a decent alum. He's a decent alum. He and I well, did something not that long ago. We're excited about the... generous and kind of him to do that. Um, well, what? What? What's the problem? Listen. I'm saying that he just seems Jamie like Dimey. he's unhappy he could be, all the time. He could be right. He's not unhappy. He's just trying to take, care, I, I think, everybody's expectations down a little bit. It's kind of like I what know. I do on this show sometimes with you. Yeah, you do that to me. Right, you when you're Boeing him. Yes. Yeah, when I'm Boeing, Boeing him, and then me. I get blamed. And then I get blamed, of course. Well, who like am I going to blame? Who can never do anything right. Yeah, it's my fault well, that you sold Boeing. I just Boeing. think that you're kind of Jamie Dimon, like, baby. You know, <laughs> Carl, they went to the same college. Maybe it's, maybe it's tough. Is it, a, is it a tough thing? It might be a tough thing. It could thing. be a tough thing. Yeah. I didn't it's, thought of that. Go jumbos. Um, um, well, at the <laughs> same time, pretty de- uh, constructive comments out of Wells today. Talking about the consumer and Moynihan, uh, consumer still has two to three times more cash than before COVID, and especially I, at the low end. Carl, I know you like you keep an eye on B of A's credit card research. I think they got something out today. Yeah. Expect a soft retail sales report for August, but it's called "Keep Calm and Carry On." Not a hurricane story. It's kind of well, that has to specifically be about Hurricane Hillary, but of course, we're, we're, uh, as well, reminiscent of uh, comments from Diamond some time back. Uh, a return to trend-like spending. Um, guys, I also wanted to just quickly uh, kind of end on sort of the broader market. Yeah, um, today is a, a investor day for Brookfield uh, Asset Management, Brookfield Corporation, one of the largest alternative asset managers in the world, $850 billion in assets. We cover the public markets, but the private markets, as we pointed out many times, are ascendant. And Bruce Flatt certainly made that clear in a conversation that we had. Take a listen. You need to... Uh just step back and think about two big trends that are happening in capital markets in the world. And the first one is private markets. And the second one is just the growth of capital in the world and the compounding of, of, uh, of wealth. Sovereign funds, sovereign funds, institutional wealth funds are just getting bigger and bigger and they need, uh, they need things to put that into. And more and more private capital is where they want their money to be. So all the alternative uh, products that we offer them um, offer, uh, because they don't have liquidity, they get a better return. But more importantly, I think it's the, there's less distraction in the private markets. What does that mean? Just, just every day when you're, the, you're quoting the bond markets are up, the equity markets are down, and all those things are happening out there. If you're an investor, it's just a distraction. So we're a distraction. Thanks, Bruce. Well, we're going to be following the company regardless. Uh, Later today, they do have, uh, later this morning, they do have an important investor day, of course, introducing uh, targets such as $2 trillion, Jim, they expect to manage in assets. $2 trillion within the next five years. They're everywhere. They're every, you, they, by the way, uh, Wes Eaton's a symbol, I think, in Fortress. These guys are just so much, they're, uh, they're like Prometheus. Do you know what I mean? They're just, they're like lifting the world. They're doing infrastructure, but they're doing banking, doing real estate. and Renewables, yep. Yeah, and David, this is a great score for you because I've always tried to figure out who is Brookfield? I mean, they've got to be the biggest two trillion nobody knows. Good stuff. They're not a two trillion yet, but but they do deserve more attention. They seem to want a bit more as well. Good. Um, and and yeah, and you know the alternative asset managers are enormous in getting bigger. Sort of the big four, if you want to call it that. Uh, Banks are a little jealous of them, David. Banks are care. jealous. Yeah, they may be very jealous. 
Guys, when we come back, we'll talk some Apple getting ready for the big product event just a few hours away. Could a new iPhone 15 revive a sales slowdown? Some think it might drive a mini uh, cycle if people upgrade. Take a look at the pre-market here. We'll get to the B of A fund manager survey. Pretty interesting. CVS, of course, the UAW, UPS, Visa, RTX, and more when we return. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Apple's product launch event set to get underway at its headquarters in less than four hours. The company expected to debut a new iPhone 15 lineup, along with some new versions of the watch. Apple looking to revive sales after three consecutive quarterly revenue declines. Jim, a lot of chatter about ASPs, maybe going up 100 bucks at the high end. Look, I think that the phone companies are where I'm going to look toward to see how much they push this phone, particularly Verizon, which actually had a decent quarter. They've got some capital, ATT. Uh, in Dave's interview, I felt, well, listen, maybe their balance sheet could support some big giveaways. Uh, I also feel this is a, I don't know about you guys, but when, it, I know what I'm about to say is anecdotal, but everybody's battery is drained so much these days that you just feel like, wow, my battery's draining much quicker. I got to get to 15. And, I, you know, David, I'm getting the 15 because I can't take the fact that at the end of the day, I have no, no battery life. No matter what, I think it's just spent and I'm not alone. No, you're not. It's the old battery. I know that does. I think that does motivate a lot of upgrades. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right. And by the way, not just of phones, but of uh, laptops as well. Totally. Uh, I got one that's now constantly needing to be So it's not anecdotal. Yeah. You're getting the same thing I am, right? The more you speak, more people realize, wow, what happened to my battery? Well, I guess it ran down. I gotta, it runs down too often. I got to go get the next iteration. So I'm ready. <laughs> I think it was Webbush yesterday, uh, Jim, that said a quarter of the installed base has not upgraded in uh, four years. That's and I, I guess the other question is whether or not this is a true offset to the China concerns of what was that last week? I think it definitely, oh yeah, it was like, yeah, what was that? The lines still are long, my channel checks, David. You know, one of the things that I find preposterous is if you look at the pie chart of where Apple gets its revenues, okay, so now it's finally less than 50% uh, for the actual handset. But the revenue stream as a percentage of the year, the regular recurring revenue stream as a percentage of the company's operation is 26%. It's, I think it's about to cross the 30. The service revenue stream is what I'm watching because you have to look out three, four years. You can't just look at the static uh, seven quarters of no growth. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't make sense. Not the way to look at it. All right, well, watch it. Uh, normally, the event itself is not constructive for the stock, but it's certainly no. not going into this one hot. No, no, it's it, not a reason to buy. 
Uh, when we come back this morning, we'll get Kramer's Mad Dash countdown to the opening bell. One more look here at futures with that bell coming up in nine and a half minutes. Don't go anywhere. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Futures look for a down open this morning, but the next 48 hours are going to be intense. CPI tomorrow, of course, and then on Thursday, PPI, retail sales, ECB, and the expiration of the UAW contract. So buckle up. In the meantime, the opening bell coming up in seven minutes. All right, let's get to it. A uh, cross-country mad dash as we count down an opening bell less than four minutes from now. You want to talk a little Adobe this morning, Jim? Yeah. I want to now look do a little analogy here to what happened this morning with Oracle. There were two brokers who upgraded Oracle, and the stock just flew. It was up 55% going into the quarter. Never great. I think, it, it, I know, by the way, still, again, I reiterate, I buy Oracle right here. Adobe, very interesting, David. Two guys in just today, price target bumps, significant price target bumps. Well, here we go. They report on Thursday. The stock is now up 67% for the year. The stock, which is at 550, was three weeks ago at 500. These are these kinds of setups. I just want to warn people that there won't be uh, any wiggle room at all. If Adobe doesn't hit it right down the middle, David, it will be called a ball and people will sell. So I think if you don't own Adobe by now, you might, might just want to wait because I think it's a really good company. But it went down last, last time after a really great quarter. It could happen again. So you're, for now, just steer clear. Well, I just feel like if you remember the last quarter, we, were, we talked about it. It opened it, after hours was up about 30. And then yep. by the next day, it was down 40 from where it, it went out at 6 p.m. So I just want to caution people that there's too much froth when people raise their price targets two days before. You've got to just wait now. Maybe you miss it. But Adobe's been a great performer, up 67%. That's a nice run. Don't feel like you can just come in right here and say, wow, I just discovered this great company called Adobe. Yeah, right near it's not far from its 52-week uh, high, as you point out, No, uh, Jim. And obviously a great rebound from what had been a significantly bad year for the stock last year. They have the best AI software. They have the best. It makes small, medium-sized businesses be able to make your website look exactly like the big guys. This stuff, Firefly, is the most amazing product. I've used it, and I just can't. I'm stunned at how great it is to be able to become more creative because of what Adobe gives you. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, that's good. We're good. We, yeah. You know, yeah, we got a few more minutes I mean, to the opening bell. I mean, Jim, the... Uh the price, uh, the, the target hikes on Adobe kind of fit with this fund manager survey out of B of A, where we're finally overweight U.S. equities for the first time in 17 months. Right. But I also think about what you guys were talking about with the banking, with the bank. There's so much money around and you got to find a place to put the money. Uh, stocks have been a bit ignored. There's a lot of bond issuance right now, but rates have gone up. But I just feel like there's this kind of this move to say, all right, let's go back to equities. We have so much money. Let's go buy some stock. Uh, and the, I feel the same way when I li- listen to the strategist, Carl. They're just like, all right, well, 
Yeah, I guess things aren't so bad. Maybe softly. But yeah. the lack of enthusiasm for what they're doing is extraordinary. I mean, like, hey, you know, you go buy some Adobe. You go buy a million shares of Adobe. Yeah. It's fine. Well, and it, There's and more no specifically, enthusiasm. Jim, and more specifically, it's about U.S. Uh, EM in yes. the survey loses 25 points, um, mostly on China, where zero respondents see stronger growth out of China. <laughs> We have these nation-state mega caps, and look, people just love them. And today, uh, you know, look, so, uh, there was BG, Brad Gilbert was on this morning, and I love Brad. He said, buy Microsoft. He's like, hey, that's a good idea. That hasn't been up in the last couple of days. We're kind of in that motion, that, that mode part. Okay, okay buy Microsoft. Like the old days. Let's get the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange with the big board. It's newly formed. Sports and entertainment company, TKO Group, celebrating its listing. Uh, David is going to talk to Endeavor CEO, Ari Emanuel, and COO, Mark Shapiro, in a few minutes at the NASDAQ at Scholastic, uh, celebrating 25 years of its uh, U.S. publication of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, you psyched for this? Yeah, a lot to talk to him about. Obviously, you remember WWE had been for sale. We talked and followed that. Then they did the deal with with uh, Endeavor, which owns 51% of TKO. And those two men are running the company, although Dana White is still overseeing UFC and Vince McMahon overseeing WWE, both of which are now together. They hope creating a lot of synergy uh, and a lot more power, perhaps, in terms of sports rights, for example, when they have to renegotiate them for both. Yeah, kind of takes us right to... NFL season, your Jets last night, <laughs> and the reaction to uh, Disney Charter uh, on some of the sell side notes I just, today. I still can't really even talk about uh, uh, Aaron. And the, just I talk just, about the catch. It's, it's, it's the catch was even, the greatest catch. Yes, the Wilson catch. is amazing, and um, it was a great win. Um, our defense is just what we thought it would be and will keep us in the entire year. And then there was this. I don't, you know, he's getting an MRI today, but I think we all sadly, as Jet yeah, fans, yeah. certainly expect the worst. And I kind of think he knew. Yeah. Three, yeah. Uh, uh, only knew. three ever uh, overtime punt returns for a touchdown, all three by rookies. Yeah, undrafted, an undrafted yeah. rookie. He was featured in Hard Knocks, though. Oh, really? Yeah, so you got, you got a sense for him. Very, uh, very happy, obviously, with that win. But... We got to see the game on Charter because I didn't actually change right. anything. I waited. You know, it ended up being kind of like the old battles where it got done at the last minute, even though it really felt like it was different this time. Um, and everybody weighing in on who got the best of it. Was it Disney? Was it Charter? Charter stock was up more than Disney yesterday. You can see a bit of reversal today. They are offering Disney+. Plus to uh, charter subscribers, that's the ad-supported tier. Then you'll also have access to ESPN Plus at a different tier, paying more money, and access to ESPN when it does go fully over the top, again, at a different tier. So you could make an argument, Jim, that both sides kind of benefited. Charter certainly did get more as it wanted to for its subscribers, but at the same time, Disney didn't, didn't lose. Um, they did cut back on channels. From what I'm hearing, channels, they weren't necessarily that interested in supporting anyway in terms of at least on, on the system. So um, it was funny that it did end. Of course, we did tell you about 24 hours ago they were very close to a deal 
and all the stocks in question did go up at that point. But it did end, Jim, very much like all these battles did at the moment you kind of thought it would, even though this one didn't feel like it was going to be affected by a Monday night football game. No, I mean, maybe it's U.S. Open, maybe it's going to be Big Ten. You didn't know. I mean, uh, what I'll tell you, David, that I think is so interesting is that the moment this was over, okay, immediately I get 10 emails saying, okay, you got to talk about Hulu. Now it's Hulu. I mean, is Disney just going to be one of these situations where there is an objection made to owning the stock the moment that anyone, the, the previous one is solved? You know, there are a lot of challenges. I think that is a fair statement, and I don't think Bob Iger would disagree with it. Uh, whether those challenges are figuring out the future of ESPN and whether you want a significant partner in some way to help you with distribution and ownership, perhaps. Right. Um, as you renegotiate certain sports rights, I mean, the NBA is the one that's uh, coming up, I think, soonest. Uh, you've got direct-to-consumer figuring that out. You've got the writers, an actor strike. And then to your point, the negotiation over Hulu is going to begin very soon. As we learned right. last week, uh, from Brian Roberts and Disney uh, confirming as well. September 30th is when they're going to begin this process. And as you might imagine, they have very different views on the overall value of Hulu. And should Comcast's value uh, prevail, that would be an awfully big check for Disney. We will see, as we pointed out, the, the process is not in the real world. It's sort of this make-believe world, but for the created for the process itself of determining the value of Hulu, saying that you've got to determine it in a, assuming there's an all-out auction from all the potential, potential buyers of this thing, even if in the real world they couldn't because of antitrust. In this world, they can. You've got to assume that Disney and Comcast are providing uh, content, content in perpetuity, even though that might not be the case. And so Comcast is arguing, hey, this is going to be a much bigger number. On the other side, there were capital calls that may not have been fulfilled by Comcast. Uh, over time, they may have an argument about its real how much its own ownership stake is really is it 33 percent or should it be less? So, a battle to come here, uh, but certainly one that Disney's going to be. We have to follow closely. Well, David, if it's a big number for Disney, they obviously have to tap the debt market. Would they even tap the equity market? Would they possibly issue stock? I don't know the answer to that, and I think you could imagine if it really ends up at a very large number. And again, I mean, you're talking 27 and a half billion is the floor. Could it, you know, could it be twice that? Comcast would say, yeah. And the, under the scenario in which we've described, and which is how it has to be evaluated, we think it could be. Um, I don't know what Disney does. You know, do you do you give do you give Comcast stock? Do you uh, um, give them party? I don't know. Jim, but your, your right. question's you, a, a valid one, although there's plenty of time to go between now and then, and often these just end up as somewhere in between, right? So it's not going right. to be 27.5, but it's certainly not going to be at the highest end either. Well, well look, I, D Disney, if you're a shareholder, uh, it's not been a great situation. I do feel that if they could announce some strategic partners for ESPN, who have skin in the game, David, that would be a big game changer for those who think that ESPN is an albatross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim, you have any thoughts on the fact that the U.S. government is starting its antitrust trial against the alphabet? Well, uh, as look, I, I think that it's search is dominant. Uh, 
I remember that ATT was dominant at one point. We thought he split it up, and it turned out to be good. Uh, Standard Oil was dominant. It was good to split it up. I don't know. I think I think search is something we really like, and I think that they won. But it doesn't matter. A lot of people are saying, you know, Google will win this case because they had they offered a better mousetrap, and that's what happened. That's not what the Sherman Antitrust Act says. What the Sherman Antitrust Act says is that you can't have monopoly power. So I think the government's got a good case, not a great case, because I think that right now at this very moment, Google searches under the most attack it's ever been because of AI. <laughs> Pulling um, time case for the government. Right. And we should point out, even if this is going to take months, could be appealed. And there seems to be very few people who believe that the judge, even if the government succeeds in proving its case, will say that the finds that the company should be broken up. Not That seems right. highly unlikely, doesn't it, Jim? Yes, highly. And in the second case, the one that Jonathan Kanders brings, the, the attorney general right now is in charge of the attorney general, that's much more uh, about them choosing between the buy side of the sell side and advertising, which to me is a much bigger hit for earnings if they have to pick one or the other. Carl, I'll take it back to you, but it's a very confusing state for Google right now. Uh, yeah, it's been what been three years since we yeah. initially uh, got the the DOJ in those that group of states. Uh, Jim, speaking of uh, negotiations, uh, we were talking about Disney Charter, uh, UAW. Uh, Sean Fain on CNN yesterday saying slow progress, but we are moving. It sounds like they're now talking about uh, mid 30s as opposed to 40 on wage gains. Right. This was the beginning of what I thought was less theater and more reality. And everyone's been kind of thinking, is Fain just, maybe he's just going to strap a bomb to his leg, or maybe he's going to say, what have I done? Like, a, you know, an Al Guinness moment in Bridge of the River Kwai. But he's not doing that. What's he going for today? This is where I finally feel like there's a negotiation. Next thing, maybe we need to hear that the September 14th deadline is pushed back to the 20th so they have more time to work. Mm. These are the positive things we've been waiting for because, oh, boy, this guy has been such a bomb thrower. It, yeah. It's... He's maybe he's more of a theoretical, theoretical type. More uh, of an it it kind of dovetails with what Carol Tomei told our um, yes. Frank Holland about uh, the Teamsters deal that did get done. And she did try to push back on some of the numbers that have been pushed out there by right. the union. Take a listen. It's not a $30 billion deal. It's a great deal for our people. It's a great deal for all the stakeholders. When I look at the economics of the Teamsters deal, um, the compounded annual growth rate of that deal is 3.3%. To put that in perspective, the yield on the five-year Treasury today is 4.4%. And even if you look at the historical average of the five-year Treasury, it's 3.7%. So we came in a number that was under a five-year Treasury yield. That's pretty good. Uh, Jim shares, though, uh, going back to, what is this, uh, October of last year? Yeah, and the thing that I, I totally understand what Carol's saying. She's a great CFO of HomeView before this, but there is a, a little twist to this that I didn't like, which is that they're going to make it so you're not limited uh, to sell pa- to give them packages before the holiday season. In other words, they took the cap off. What they called the cap was a very successful way to be able to make it so that they weren't overwhelmed and didn't start. Uh, they ended the skein of missed quarters at holiday time by capping how much anybody could use them. They got rid of the cap. So Carl, I, to me, this the reason why the stock's down so much today is because people are worried that they're going to miss the holiday season. They're going to start doing badly again like they did before Carol came in. That would be terrible. Um, guys, I did want to, and Jim, I wanted to get your take on it, this 
fairly large merger. It really is a merger of equals. Perhaps that not, had not been anticipated since it was first sort of um, unveiled as a possibility. Westrock and uh, Smurfit, uh, Smurfit Kappa and Westrock announcing that they're getting together. It's going to be a giant packaging, $34 billion revenue company. Um, Westrock's up a lot, uh, but Smurfit's down a lot, in part because it ended up being very close to 50-50. There may have been an expectation that Smurfit shareholders would own more of the combined company, but you're getting five bucks a share in cash, and then you're getting a share of the new Smurfit Westrock, essentially, equivalent to 43.51. And there you can see, at least that's what they say, West Westrock's stock price up. But um, it's a big deal, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of obviously, again, um, there has been a rolling acquisition going on here for some time, hasn't there, Jim, in terms of consolidation? Yeah, this industry's been consolidating forever. Uh, yeah. th- this is the most basic commodity. It's liner board. What I thought was really incredible was that my first look at this, I said, oh, boy, these guys are gutsy getting this deal. There's no overlap. The only place that overlaps is Mexico, dude. So this right. one should, if they're, unless... Unless FTC comes up with a novel way to challenge it, like they did with Horizon Therapeutics and Amgen, novel that they, they, they rescinded, this deal goes through. Westrock had been the most inquisitive company in the group, and it crushed them that they did so many deals. This is very good for Westrock shareholders. All right. Guys, when we come back, uh, David's going to head over, talk to Ari Emanuel of Endeavor, Mark Shapiro, as they close this WWE UFC deal to form TKO Group. As we go to break, uh, watch bonds today as big print of the week begins tomorrow with CPI. Got the two-year back above five. And we mentioned oil uh, got to 88.40 or so, which is the highest intraday mark in about 10 months. We're back in a moment. Endeavor announcing the close of its UFC and WWE transactions, creating the TKO Group. It is a newly formed sports and entertainment company. And as you can see right there, it's starting trading on the New York Stock Exchange this morning. Joining me now is Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel, COO Mark Shapiro, discussing uh, in part the new company and their new roles. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was important to you to have Mark with you. You're the CEO. Why is it important to have both of you together talking about this company? You know, the funny thing is everybody says, well, how do you run both companies? And as I like to say to people, I walk, he chews gum. So, you know, we we do this together. Um, This is a very kind of big task with two companies, as people say. But we've done, now done this for a lot of years. How do you split up responsibilities in all seriousness? Is there sort of, do you know, kind of, you know, this is what I handle and this is what I do? No, you know, we, we, we have kind of, we know each other very well. I do certain things really well. He does certain things really well. And uh, we trust each other. And so there's no kind of nervousness if something happens and you didn't know, like, oh. Right. The, yeah. No job too small. I mean, we're both very granular. We're both very hands-on, and we're both willing to jump in wherever is needed and necessary. All right. Well, I'll ask questions. You can. I don't know which one to ask you. I'll talk about synergies. Maybe that's your area. I don't know. Because that was one of the reasons why I think WWE gravitated towards your offer. Um, you talked about 50 to $100 million when you announced the deal. You know, Jessica Reef Ehrlich in her note said thinks it could be $200 million. Is that Is that accurate? Well, I think there's... Um, we had a range of 50 to 100 with regard to back office and, and costs. Uh, we're on our way to kind of doing that. We did that with the UFC. We are on our way here. There's also savings as it relates on the production side because of their production facility, our production facility at, at the UFC. This is a pure play uh, sports play. You know, there's nothing more important than sports content 
and live events. We do 350 live events with production. We have a, a billion in, in fan base. The global reach of both is incredible, and you can't underestimate the value of TV rights domestically and internationally, and also the sponsorship for that. And I think the other thing that this does, in, in addition to just cost savings, it enables us to kind of have a pure play and people look at EDR properly, where you know, we have actually some data points last week. Kearing invested in CAA at 13, 15 times. Right. Formula One bought buying um, um, Quint for 15 times, which is an which is an experiential company. You know, without UFC inside EDR, uh, everything's valued at a little bit less. I think it will give everybody a pure play there also. Right. And uh, both companies are have about um, less than three times leverage. Are you going to get that down? I mean, this is a free cash flow generating company, right, yeah, Mark? Both companies will be a juggernaut in that respect. I mean, free cash flow conversion at TKO will be around 61%. And of course, Endeavor will be strong. I mean, remember, when this thing started, we were, what, eight times levered, just about eight times levered, and now we're, we're below three. So healthy balance sheet, scale, growth, Profitability, return of capital to Endeavor, which owns 51%. Are you going to be getting a significant dividend over time? Well, we've already announced our capital uh, return initiatives, as you know, a stock buyback program to the tune of uh, $300 million on the Endeavor side and, of course, uh, our first dividend. So look yeah. for more of that in the years to come. Um, a couple of weeks back, the Saudis announced a $100 million investment in something called the PFL. It's a competitor to the UFC in some way. Your stock got hit badly on it. Is that a concern to you? Not because it's $100 million, which is not much, but Saudi money, you never know. There's just always more of it. Here's what I would say. At WWE, we, do, we have a five-year deal, two events a year, over $100 million for those events over the next five years. Actually, one of the most important things in Saudi right now is their soccer league. They have called on IMG Media to distribute it globally. So we have a very good relation. The group, as our understanding is, that has done this deal with PFL, and you know, we, it's okay to be, have competitors, is the group that brings events. So the $100 million really is about, again, which is what they want, bringing events to Saudi. So <clears throat> we're okay with competition. We feel good about our position. With even, the if they ra even if they start raising prices, I mean, uh, sorry, raising salaries for yeah, the athletes Yeah, and that's themselves. really why both stocks that day took a hit. And, and clearly the market overreacted. And the next day, it corrected somewhat. It's about fighter pay. It's, hey, if the Saudis get into this, is, is fighter well, they, pay going to go through the roof? They, but here's the answer to that. Yeah. First of all, fighter pay has grown at a faster clip than overall UFC revenue. And more to the point, keep in mind, UFC's overall revenue is driven by high margin revenue streams, which can absorb anticipated or unanticipated increases in fighter pay while still resulting in margin increase. So you think you so could make if in fact it even went to the point where the Saudis started to pay or help this league yeah. pay big numbers, you yeah. think you can withstand that? We can withstand it, we'll have margin accretion. Um, what about PGA? Is there a chance for you there in terms of trying to sort of if this deal, it's funny, I did the interview with these guys in this very studio, and they haven't really said much since. Um, it's still out there. Here, here, here. They don't have a definitive agreement. Could you guys get involved? And he's a major golfer. <laughs> seven <laughs> handicap we're talking So here's about. what I would say. We, we love sports. We love owning sports and being involved in sports that are global, and golf is definitely a global sport. We're involved in DP World, um, et cetera. That being said, 
You know, Mark and I got a lot of work ahead of us at TKO. We got a lot of, as you just said, synergies. We got to make, make revenue synergies, cost synergies. So we got, we're focused on that right now. I'll walk, he'll chew gum, we'll get that one done. <laughs> and then if it's still around at the time that we can get all that done, we'll look Doesn't at it. Doesn't sound like it, because I mean, it, it sounds well, like we'll the timeline's not going to line up then. We'll see. We'll see. There's courts, there's a whole mess, there's a lot of folks hanging around the hoop, but we're around the hoop too. We're listening, we're talking. There's antitrust too, potentially, which That's could right. be in your favor. All right, sports rights are another key area. Mm-hmm. We were following the Disney Charter fight in part because of ESPN. I mean, by the way, who do you think won Disney or Charter? We've, we've been having you can You can start. Look, there's a little on both sides. I mean, obviously, Disney got a deal done without too much kind of blood in the water, if you will. And they did get the increases on ESPN. On the flip side, Charter made a stand. They got rid of some channels they didn't want to carry. Ultimately, they're going to get to carry Disney Plus at a wholesale rate. They'll carry ESPN Plus at a good rate. So they'll have access to streaming inside of their bundle. So it, 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 it was a good, kind of good old-fashioned shootout at the OK Corral, which is what these retrans arguments are all about. And they got it done. It just took a little while. I know. They got, it's so, what we talked about this morning. Yeah, when we ran into each other, yeah. right. I mean, it ended up, I said this on air, it ended up being like an old-fashioned fight. We all thought it was going to be different this yes, time. And right. then before Monday Night Football, which I don't want to talk about uh, as a Jets fan. All right, let's move on from there, though. Speaking of ESPN, though, uh, it's 2025, right? You're uh, the UFC's yes. TV deal. Yeah. What are your expectations for WWE, which I guess NBC's October 24, Fox is March of 26 there, and then UFC, ESPN, 2025? Well, we're not thinking about We have a great relationship with Disney and ESPN. Uh, we just had a fight this weekend in, in, in Sydney, which was incredible. Um, we feel very good about where we're at with the WWE now as principals uh, in that negotiation. Um, and I think we'll be in line with what the market thinks will happen with those rights. What does that mean, in line with what I'm the market thinks? I'm not telling thinks? you. You're not going to tell me? No. Will you tell me at some point At in the some future? point, I'll call you and bug you. You will? Yeah. Oh, you, I promise. Will you scream at me as you Probably, typically yes. do? Okay. But keep in mind, we're in conversations right now in the WWE because those deals are up yes. in October of next year. Both deals, SmackDown and Raw. And what are your expectations? I mean, you know, we're cautiously optimistic and we're having conversations yeah. with, with all the <laughs> platforms right now, linear and digital. As Ari mentioned, we have a lot of product, right? Um, and it's year-round product. Everybody wants to fight churn right now. WWE and UFC are a full calendar year. So really, that's they're a the huge antidote point. to right. churn. That's um, a huge point. I want to get to EDR for a second here. 84% of the value of EDR is the ownership of TKO. Some people say, in fact, there's a note today that says that's too little. But the writer's strike is certainly having an mm. impact. The actor's strike, too. Yeah. Um, not that long ago, Mr. Iger said to me, the writers and actors are being unrealistic. Do you agree? Here's what I'd say. You know, we, in our last earnings, we said it's going to hit us about $25 million a month. Uh, we're still sticking with in that. In revenues. In revenues. Here's what I would say. If they can't get it, as I said, I, don't, I think this is months, not days. If in the next three weeks, there's some conversations happening now, if they can't get something done, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous that this might go to the end of the year. That being said, the one thing about this that is true, this deal on both the writer strike and the actor strike will happen, and everybody will get back to work. Um, the good thing about us is that in the diversity of EDR, we have theater, we have lectures, we have comedy. You never we heard have, you talk so much about Broadway. Okay, okay. And we have we have music. So we're 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 comfortable with our diversity. But you want this thing to get done of as course, soon as possible. Of course, of course we do. Of course we do. Um, and it's absurd. They gotta get in a room, they gotta lock the doors and you don't come out till it's done. I mean that's how, how can they have been able to do that yet? 
cooler heads will prevail. Because they didn't have Monday time. Night Football. <laughs> <laughs> and they need more pain. Clearly, there needs to be some more pain on, on both, both sides till, till folks get loud. Yeah. Speaking of pain, is uh, Zuckerberg ever going to fight Musk? I don't think that's happening. You don't? No. Did you? I did at the beginning, yes. What happened? I'm not really sure. You know, for I a while, it looked like I it think, might be I UFC think, sanctioned, I, I, right? I think, oh, for I think, sure. I think, I think Elon had a couple surgeries on his shoulder. He had, he, remember, he's had a couple surgeries on his neck. It's probably best it doesn't happen. Collector's so. item are the T-shirts that Dana White had done up. <laughs> he had some T-shirts done up as if the fight was going to happen. We have a couple of them. We'll send Soon you to one. be on we, eBay. Right. I know. Well, we were all hoping to be there ringside <laughs> exactly. as well. Guys, listen, good luck with TKO. Thank very you, much man. appreciate your taking time. Thank you. Thank you, David. Appreciate Mark it. Emmanuel, Mark Shapiro. Um, send it back to you, Carl. All right, David, thanks. Uh, Jim, what's on Mad tonight? The CEO of PG&E, Patty Poppy. And then, of course, we're going over to Dreamforce. Spent a lot of time with Mark Benioff. Uh, this is his day. Remember, he does book it as the, uh, this is the AI festival of the world. And then, uh, you, Disruptor, Jason Citron. Our kids would know it more than we would Discord. i got to tell you, uh, people are really a believer in AI when it comes to business to business, Carl. An enterprise bonanza. And I'm becoming a believer in it, too. Wow, you've definitely made it clear. Uh, B2B, not B2C. B2B, um, not, not chat. We can't That's wait for tonight, Jim. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you at 6, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Off the opening lows, Dow down 57. Energy definitely leading the way. Back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.